From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Marketing Matters on Business Radio. Spotlight. Come here, let me look at you. Spotlight. I want to keep digging. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Barb the Patty and J.H. Baker, Professor of Marketing. And I'm joined today by my guest co-host, Annie Wilson, who's a senior lecturer of marketing here at the Wharton School. Hello, Annie. Hi, Barbara. Thank you very much for joining us in the studio today. Did you teach today? I did. I taught three classes and a talk in the middle of the day. So. Oh, geez. So you're totally exhausted. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit of brain dead, but that's good. That's That'll work. Uh, anyway, we're happy to be here in the studio with Annie. America's had something to do today, but he'll be back maybe next week, I'm hoping. And our guest is Anna ba- Banks, who's the Senior Vice President of Personalization and Performance Marketing at Sephora. And before I say hello to you, Anna, I just want to mention Sephora is one of my favorite stores, one of my favorite examples. They are ahead of the curve. They were doing a whole lot of different things in the book. In my book, The Shopping Revolution, they're one of the retailers I featured at really changing what consumers look for in their shopping experience. And I think Anna's going to tell us about some of the changes that they've made since I wrote that book in 2017. So Anna, thank you very much for coming on our show. Hello. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being a Sephora fan. It's so wonderful to work for a brand that just gets so much love. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I go to Sephora several times a week, which is probably not good. Um, but yeah, it's it's very it has a lot of great things and great experiences. So Anna, tell us um, about your background. Like, what have you been doing in in terms of marketing, and when did you come to Sephora, and why did you join Sephora? Yeah, so I actually joined Sephora in 2020, in full on pandemic. So I'm wow. coming up on three years, um, and my entire career has actually been in marketing. Um, I was inspired initially by not seeing myself represented in media and said, you know, this is an area that I want to go into and be a part of sort of changing the future of that. Obviously, we've been on an amazing journey in the last 30 or so years that I've been in the industry. Um, And technology and data-driven marketing is what kind of drew me in. Um, And as a San Francisco native, Sephora was always on my list of aspirational brands. Um, it gets considered a gold standard around like omni-channel consumer experience. I worked at places like Walmart e-commerce. We always looked to Sephora. Um, so when the opportunity to lead the data-driven side of marketing for Sephora came up, I, I totally jumped at it. Yeah, so Sephora has an amazing loyalty program. The VIB, I, I'm a VIB, so that's the only part of it I know. But I know it's a pretty sophisticated program. It's got like YouTube channels and things. Can you tell us a little bit? And they were way ahead of other retailers on that, I think, being data-driven like that. So they knew about these trends long before other people did. Can you tell us a little about the history of the loyalty program mm-hmm. and how it works? Yeah, so actually the beauty Insider loyalty program is actually not under my purview. That oh, is okay. actually one of my colleagues. But I can tell you about the data-driven side of loyalty because I work very closely with the person who does the strategy for the loyalty program because my side of the house actually does all the execution of the things that like wind up in your inbox. Oh, so at okay. a really high <laughs> level, my role is to like accelerate the client-centric vision for Sephora. And so my span covers client acquisition, customer lifetime value, and building strong personalization strategies. Um, and I have a really amazing team that covers marketing insights, which is like market research and marketing analytics, um, digital marketing and paid media. So anytime you get an SMS or email from anyone, that's that's my team hard at work. Wow. Um, and then personalization and orchestration. So how do we determine who gets what? 
Um, so it encompasses, you know, a, a pretty large side of the marketing business. Um, as I mentioned, I started in 2020 and you asked about my charter. So when I was, I joined, I said, you know what? Personalization is at scale is something that we are, is a real priority for the organization, but we recognize how complex it is. And so my role is to really shepherd all of the work streams to deliver more dynamic and personalized experiences at scale and across all of our customer touch points, whether they're in store and online or online. Wow. So do you use, what do you do? Use machine learning, use algorithms? I mean, how, how do you do that? That's a pretty tall task. Yeah. So all of the above, and we'll, we'll get to bits and kind of pieces of that. I mean, I'll give you a nugget on, you know, my day can be super duper varied. So in a single day, I can be, you know, reviewing a brand equity study or evaluating our media strategy for a major multicultural campaign or discussing the latest results of our customer lifetime value model to your point around using machine learning to understand our clients. Um, and then turning around and strategizing growth for our like retail media network. So it really wow. spans a pretty broad range. <laughs> That's a lot. So I'm curious too, when you talk about uh, growth, because you were talking about how customer acquisition falls into your purview, um, as much as you can speak to it, um, what your segmentation strategy is to that end, especially when you think about attracting new and diverse consumers and sort of preventing what we often see as algorithms self-optimizing and then end up sort of targeting one group. So I'm sort of curious how you think about um, that segmentation strategy in terms of who to acquire next and how to focus versus spread resources for representation. Yeah, so... We are super data driven and we're also really like values driven as well. So the first aspect of it is reaching diverse audiences, serving them with content that resonates is absolutely a priority for us. And we do the analysis around the opportunity for those particular audiences. So we look into the landscape around beauty shoppers overall. And in particular, we started to look at audiences that over indexed on beauty spend. And so that's when we started to look at like, oh, wait, Latinx, um, uh, customer segment significantly over indexes on beauty spend. Let's take a look at how good a job we are doing at reaching them. Same thing for our black audiences, also over index on beauty spend. And so um, I kind of go into a little bit of how we think about our targeting strategy because it, it's it's a matrixed approach. So wow, one level is around taking a look at each of those audiences and saying, what's the opportunity? How many people are there? How much are they spending? And how good a job are the machines going to do of reaching those audiences? Because we have a particular target of like what percentage of those beauty shoppers we want to make sure we reach with our media. And we put together an, at the beginning of the year an inclusive media strategy. It says, how big is it? How many of them do we want to reach? So that's one piece of it. Then the next piece we say, okay, how do we want to actually reach those audiences? Yeah. Because to your point, sometimes if you just let the algorithms run, we actually don't reach as high a percentage of those audiences as we want to or think is important for growth for our business. So then we start to employ strategies around particular outlets. So we lean heavily into looking at diverse owned outlets, outlets that contextually resonate with those audiences and building a strategy around picking those right outlets that have authentic voices and they're well, going to resonate say outlets, and have the right content. Do you mean brands? What do you mean by outlets? Uh, so they're going to be media publishers. So I think like oh. Amazon. Oh, this is your or, advertising. Oh. Yeah. So this oh. is actually for media placement. And we'll talk about the actual content in a little bit. But this is for 
placement of our messaging and figuring out how to reach those oh, audiences. Okay. So this is customer acquisition. Are. You're just you're using media strategy to acquire new customers. That is that what you're talking about? Yes. Okay. But remember, we are you know about ninety percent of our clients are recognized. So we have a lot of really rich first party data, which we also use when we're doing any of our media strategies. So some of it is about acquiring new folks, but some of it is actually about talking to the folks that we already have. Because as much as we have a growth strategy, so acquiring new people to the brand, it is also about balancing that with retention, making sure we are creating the right experience. But why can't right you? I, I guess what I was saying is, I would think you would prioritize your own networks and reaching your retention, like through email or through, you said, retail media networks and things like yeah, that. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. It's a two sided strategy. So one is we're about growth of new, and that's the, the other, out, side, other outlets. And then and the, that's the that's okay. outreach and media bringing in new people in our okay. customer acquisition. So, so that's under a part okay, of the payment. Okay. But then the other side of the house, which I also have our own channels to your point around email, SMS, push messaging to right. folks who have the app. And so that also is a very rich strategy, which also encompasses the loyalty program right, right. Um, and determining how we outreach to those folks through our owned channels as well. Because to your point, retention is a, is a critical piece of it. You know, you don't want to have a leaky bucket. You don't want to be right. spending a whole lot of money acquiring folks and not doing a good job of retaining them. And so th- this might start to get into your content strategy, but I'm, I'm also curious, um, given the uh, balancing of, of values and also uh, brand equity and uh, profitability of thinking about how you think about these uh, marketing initiatives of acquiring a, a more diverse group of customers and ensuring representation, but speaking to new customers in ways that also feel authentic and not like you're just trying to reach this market because you know that they have wallet share you want to grab, which happens a lot where brands are like, I see an opportunity with this diverse market. So they have money. Let's just put someone who looks like them in an ad and we're good um, or carry one product with another skew for them and we're good. How do you make sure you're speaking to audiences in a way that that um, is actually authentic in terms of acquiring and retaining uh, those new customers? Yeah, so I actually think I want to back up for a second and talk about our commitment to DEI overall, because it's really what is kind of the underpinning and the foundation of all this. And it allows us to have a level of authenticity when we finally start to go do those things that are outreach. So let's start with that. So um, if you think back to 2019, one of the first things we did is we started a new platform or manifesto called We Belong to Something Beautiful. And it was us signifying that this idea of fostering an idea of inclusivity for customers, for employees, and publicly striving for a more inclusive retail industry was a priority for us. So that was 2019. And then following on to that in 2020, we were one of the first major retailers to sign the 15% pledge and committing to 15% of our assortment of prestige beauty being Black-owned brands. Um, and then to support that, we actually revamped our accelerator program. So it used to be broad. It's now very focused on BIPOC founders, or it's exclusively focused on BIPOC founders to make sure that we have a pipeline for um, BIPOC founders getting their products onto Sephora shelves. So not just saying we're going to make the pledge, actually taking action and supporting those brand founders and getting their products um, onto their their onto the shelves. So, and I also want to kind of lean into that. It's an important part of Sephora's strategy around having 
unique and exclusive brands and products that you can't find anywhere else. And so yeah. that's when we had the accelerator program in the first place. And so now we're actually combining our like our strategies and our values, right? We're all about exclusive um, or sorry, uh, um, products that you can't find in any other environments. Yeah, so Plus, I was, yeah, right. The so ability like, to have products that are um, coming from uh, BIPOC founders. So combining those two together. Yeah, so I just wanted to comment on that. We, we talked about that earlier, is that your product mix is noticeably different in the stores now. So in yeah. 2017, when I was first looking at it, you had a lot of Estee Lauder brands and a lot of LVMH brands. They were the same kinds of brands you would see in the department store. And people were buying them in Sephora instead of in the department store. I think it was a lot of the same product, a lot of the same price. Um, but the customer experience was very different in, in Sephora. And people liked shopping in Sephora and your, and your communication with them, you know, and the history they had with you and the, and the marketing you did kept them loyal. But now, if you go in, to your point, and part of it is, I guess, this DEI initiative, but another part of it is this new idea of finding brands that are only exclusive to Sephora. Um, so you're, there's only so much room in the stores. I guess there's plenty of room online, but there's only so much room in the stores. And it does seem like you're featuring some of these smaller, newer, more exclusive brands at the expense of some of these legacy brands that had been there before. Is, is that a fair option? And also, there's a lot more private label to my eye. Um, is that a fair statement? So the, so the first thing I want to say is, is a nod to the experience in the store. And that is still very much a foundation and important piece of our strategy the shift in the product mix has been to make us even more competitive um, and allow us to, you know, start to bring in a newer customer, a younger customer, a broader customer. So I'm not sure I would think of it as like an ex the expense of some of these other brands. It really is about paying attention to the what the market is looking for and interested in. And, you know, obviously we're retailers. So we're all about like paying attention to the data around what are people buying? What are they wanting? What are they coming in and asking for? And being responsive to that. So I, 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 let me just ask one more question about this, then I'll let you go. I just, I also noticed, like, I go to the stores, freak, like I told you, I go a lot. And I go to my store in Philadelphia, and then I sometimes go down to Miami and go to the store in Miami. And they don't have the same brands in, in the two stores. There's things that I can find in Philly that I can't find in Miami. So I assume some of these product mix are based on the data, also somewhat local to different geographies. A Sephora in one place is not a Sephora in another. That's true. Is that right? At least that's yeah, my so observation. At, at an umbrella level, you will always have an anchor of like the same experience and ideally the same great experience at a Sephora store. And the leadership in that store is empowered to think about what makes sense for my particular market and what works in one place may not be what works in another. And, and any great retailer wants to be you know, responsive to their particular audience. I, I think also what what it sounds like you're alluding to in terms of the products you carry, having that commitment to carrying the products of BIPOC founders and really taking the pledges seriously is also what we teach a lot in our marketing classes is when you want to attract a new community, um, you have to go all in. You have to actually serve that community and figure out what they value, what their needs are, um, and give them that. You can't just say, hey, now we're here and we put this tweet out, so you should show up at our store. You actually <laughs> have to be changing the offering, the brand, or the experience in 
a meaningful way to show that tar- that target market that you're there, which it sounds like, uh, you know, Sephora does a, a fantastic job from the, um, you know, data level, re- bringing that into the store, the product portfolio, the founders of, of the products you carry, etc. I'm curious also, uh, shifting a, a little bit, um, Thinking about that store experience, Sephora is known for their amazing store experience. Experiential marketing is becoming more of a differentiator that brands are trying to exploit. And more brands have more access to the technologies Sephora had for a long time, but they're starting to introduce them. How do you see Sephora staying ahead of competitors by making the experience even better? Is that part of personalization? How do you bring that through Um, as more brands emphasize experience how do you make and your copy. experience even better? macy's yeah. is copying and yeah. basically copy some yeah. of your technology yeah. and I mean, the smart right. mirrors and right. yeah etc yeah so i mean for sure making sure that our experience is one that is the best is super important to us especially as we look at gen z audiences who you know you would have thought that they would only be about online and we're discovering gen z loves the experience in the store they are all about let me look at what's online but then i want to go and i touch it and feel it and go with my friends. And so the store experience and making sure um, it is, you know, important, cutting edge is, you know, a critical thing for us. I want to talk a little bit about um, some of the technology that we have brought into the store to make it more relevant to diverse audiences. I want to talk for a second about Color IQ. So one of the challenges for you know, especially women of color, but honestly, for every um, woman or anyone who wears makeup is the ability to find the right match for a foundation. And so, um, and I, I see some, some nodding going on there. Yeah, so one of the things that Sephora said is like, is there a way that we could use technology in order to like to solve this problem? So our beauty advisors are amazing at knowing what we carry and being able to like interact with someone and say, okay, I think this is the right thing for you. But could we give them a tool to really amplify that? And Color IQ is exactly that. So um, I don't know if either of you ever have gone into the store, but it's actually a, a handheld device. The beauty advisor holds it up to your skin and, and it takes a read of the tone of your skin. And then it automatically makes a recommendation of products in the store that are a perfect match for you. And I actually wow. went into the store and did it recently. It recommended Rose Ink 120 red undertone for me. And I was like, really impressed with how perfect a match that it is. But behind the scenes, what's happening is we have our merchants who are indexing every single one of our foundation products. And then there's a technology and after the foundations are um, scanned, they are given a, a number value. And then the scanning in the store of someone's physical skin also is given a number value. And then the machine learning actually does a match to determine which of the products on the shelves are going to be your perfect match. Wow. And so the ability to do that is something we haven't really seen a whole lot of other people do it in that way. I mean, this idea of matching people, you know, completely not new. But the uh, the ability to do it at scale and really look at a very broad wow. spectrum of skin tones is something that um, we feel is you know, really important in terms of like 
being one of the most inclusive prestige beauty retailers out there. Well, that's amazing. Let me reintroduce you. I'm Barbara Kahn, along with Annie Wilson, who is the Senior Lecturer of Marketing at the Wharton School. And this is Marketing Matters. We're joined by Anna Banks, who's the Senior Vice President for Personalization and Performance Marketing at Sephora. And she's just telling us about this incredible technology that'll really help you match your skin tone and buy exactly the color you want. So that's one type of cosmetics that people want, Definitely, you want to get color right, and color is incredibly important. Um, and skin and skin products, I know, are a growth industry. Everybody's spending a million dollars on skin products. Um, and so you do want the right color. I can totally get that. But I'm curious also about uh, new trends. You know, I remember once a few years ago, we were talking to people in makeup business, beauty business, and they were saying the new trend is euphoria, uh, that show euphoria. Uh, and they were euphoria, wearing, yeah, 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 euphoria. And they were wearing, like, their eye makeup outside their eyes. You know, it was like really, really unusual kinds of things. The problem with some of the things you're talking about is it really builds on what's been done in the past. What do you do to find out what's going to be new and exciting? How, how do you use the data or use your whatever you do to find out the next new trend in makeup? Yeah. So I want to go back to something that we were talking about earlier, which is around authentic voice um, and reaching new audiences. Um as a brand, it isn't just about our voice being out there and us talking just to people. It really is about having a dialogue with the community. So our social channels are really important and our own channels are really rich and important part of the mix of the dialogue with the, the beauty community that's out there. The One of the things I really want to call forward is our one-of-a-kind influencer program called the Sephora Squad. It's an ensemble of artists and storytellers and beauty, uh-huh. enth- beauty enthusiasts. And they have a really wide range of interests and points of view. Um, and for us, it's, you know, it's something we do every year. We cultivate this sort of family of folks. It's, you know, it's about 60, 70 influencers. We were super committed to making sure that we had the most diverse influencer group that's out there. So 70% of the members are people of color, 14% are Spanish speakers, you know, a really wide age range. So, you know, half or Gen Z, but then we also have a huge portion that are over 40 um, members in different gender identities. So the whole idea is like getting a whole yeah. variety of different voices and listening to them and making sure that they are the ones who are like amplifying and mentoring beauty beauty lovers of all like new races and ethnicities and, and religions, ages. And so the squad, um, and it's built not just around beauty. We're collaborating with people who are unique thinkers and enthusiasts and creatives. So my point is like we're I get the your ability point. to bring in <laughs> other voices. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Bring in other voices, listen to them, have dialogue with them, allows us to keep our finger on what the trends are. So you know, so I want to call it a really interesting trend. So sometimes things that are trending are not things that are that are new. So if you think the um what is it, the Clinique Black Cherry trend, right? So this is a, it's a lip gloss, it's been around, I don't know, 20 years or something. It had something covered on TikTok suddenly saw, you know, shot through the roof and we could not even keep it on the shelves. So that's an example of how trending has completely kind of changed and evolved. It's not always just about the newest things. So, uh, and of course, we want to watch those, but it also is about paying attention to what people are talking about on social and figuring out how we can be responsive and be a part of that dialogue. How fast can you follow up on something like that if you see it happening on TikTok? I mean, we are trying to, there's, there's two different 
dimensions to that. So we have a very large social team who is, you know, posting multiple times a week, continually monitoring the channels who can be super responsive in terms of generating new content. You know, physical stores, obviously it's going to be a slightly longer turnaround. However, that's why we're starting to create things like a space in the store called Next Big Thing, where the intention is let's pay attention to what's going on out there and have a space that's intended to be changing more frequently, perhaps in the rest of the, the regular shelves. So I, I'm curious, too, what what do you think is and we're almost at time. I, I, what is do you think is most exciting for the future? Kind of the one thing you're most excited for, for the future of technology and DEI and beauty? Yeah. So, I mean, I know everybody's talking about AI and we are certainly keeping an eye on it too. Um, but I'm really excited about the promise of one-to-one personalization. I mean, I feel like I've been talking about it in my career for like 20 years about like the ability to complete, create a completely unique experience for every single person. And it's kind of not really been there until now. So now we actually do have the technology And it's catching up so that we really can create unique experiences across online, offline, at scale. Um, And I kind of think back to like, where were we when the internet first kind of came out and how far it's come in the last 20 years? And I think about the amazing evolution that we're going to see now in this personalization space and the ability to create those unique experiences and even beyond that, be able to understand sort of what's useful, helpful and drives the most desirable experiences. Well, and uh, well, we're out of time, but thank you. So I can't wait to see my own personalization. I'm really excited about that. (laughs) You are probably getting it already. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we know where we can go to find out more about you. We'll go to Sephora online or Sephora store. We'd like to thank our producers, Dion Simpkins and Dana Cash. We're here every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and we replay our show several times throughout the week. You can follow our show on Twitter at SXM Marketing, and you can follow Business Radio at SXM Business for information about all our programming. You can also see us on Knowledge at Wharton website and look for our podcast. Thank you all for listening today. We'll be back next week. Till then, this has been Marketing Matters. I'm Barbara Kahn here with Annie Wilson, who's the Senior Lecturer of Marketing at the Wharton School, Business Radio, Sirius XM 132.